another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Earlier this week, I posted a kind of all-encompassing preview of Super Bowl 53 with Ray and Pat. It's a good one. You should check it out. It should be right below this episode. And like I said in that one, we're trying to, you know, up our also subscriber count, but also review count. We're kind of plateaued below that 500 mark. Let's reach that 500 mark in the near future. If you enjoy this podcast for any moment and you're just a casual listener again hit that subscribe button we'd really 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 appreciate it as we move on to the off season we'll still have plenty of podcasts each week i'm trying to do at least two a week so yeah it'll, it'll be a fun few weeks that'll fly by and then we'll just get to the preseason and get to all that good stuff this is a podcast we haven't done before we always hear about betting player props you can go in a wide range of props out there for the super bowl since it's just a the most spotlight island game of all time there are certainly some weird and fascinating ones, and I'm sure we'll get to those along the way, along with some, you know, simple, more straightforward props we can deal with. I've got two guests today. The first, you know him, it is Richard Rebar at Lord Reeves on Twitter, who actually wrote up the player props piece up on Rotoworld. Richard, how are you? Josh, I missed you. You know, you never invite me on the <laughs> postseason shows. He finally reached out and asked me to come. I guess 17 weeks of me was too much, though, on Sunday mornings. Well, Reeves, until you find your Royce Freeman of this offseason, I will let you on. And then I will just save you from yourself when you do find your Royce Freeman of the 2019 draft. Box. How about that? I'll, I'll hold you to that. Okay. Okay. And then also, we have a guest who is not in the Roto Roto family, but he's in my Twitter follow family, I guess is the right way to put it. Somewhat anonymous. And we'll leave it that way. Well, that's a mystery to this podcast. He's at Cleave TA on Twitter. So, TA. I will just assume you are a teacher's assistant in the Cleveland area. Is that fair? <laughs> yeah, that's very fair. Good, good description. Uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, and, and it's, it's funny. I mean, the internet is a wonderful place in some ways because you can come across people that have insights and see the game a different way than you do. And you've been one of my favorite followers for years. Um, so hopefully, you know, we can expand that audience for you. Again, it's at CleveTA on Twitter like a great host was unsure five minutes ago, how I wanted to order this podcast. And I thought the best way to do it is just to go by position. And so we'll start off with Reeves. Well, in general, just uh, about this, we're getting the player props. I mean, this is such a weird week for betting because, you know, obviously people funnel, people that don't bet at all come into this week, you know, and they'll, they'll deposit money and they want to bet on all these weird player props. We've got extended player props, you know, during the season, we typically only have, you know, pretty baseline player props that are based on player averages, catches or, you know, yards and stuff like that. But, you know, now in the Super Bowl, we've got all these just weird dynamic splits, you know, to the bet on longest catch of the game, first yeah. play, what a player's going to do. That None of that stuff's available during the regular season typically. So we've got a real smorgasbord of player props on our hands. When I typically just play player props, I'm looking for just, you know, probability and then payout. You know, where can I get the most payout? Because typically – uh, Vegas doesn't put a ton of work into these. They kind of set them right along the player averages. Uh, you know, you don't get a lot of real, you know, solid profitability on them. You typically rarely get any even odds on them. So, I mean, this time with so many on the board this week, we've got some fun, like, 
plus odds, and we'll get into some of those, which you typically don't get in player props. So we can kind of chase a little bit of the dollars a little bit in this game. I know just from following you on Twitter, you are active in player props each weekend, especially like in Sunday night football, Monday night football games. What's this week of like over 200 player props that we've seen out there? How are you approaching this week differently as well? Yeah, so I, you know, like I said, if you follow me, I, I do do a lot of the kind of first to score kind of fun, you know, long shot props um, uh, on Sunday night and, and Monday night, but, um, and random, you know, random prop here or there. But like you said, yeah, there's a couple hundred here that are released and it's just, it's overwhelming to be honest with you. And I, I don't typically do a lot of the game, you know, you know big game props or the, like the, they call the warm up props, the national anthem or any of that. So I don't, I don't worry about those, but um, typically I just, you know, have a feel for and have some insight, you know, in my head, as to how a game is going to go, you know, obviously which side I like, do I think it's going to be fast paced, slow paced, uh, higher scoring, lower scoring, whatever it might be. And then, you know, dig deep, you know, specifically within matchups, see if there's anything uh, from a, from a scheme perspective or just specific, um, you know, uh, position matchup that I think you need to take advantage of, take advantage of. But, um, you know, it's, it's almost, it's almost too much to be honest with you. So I try to focus really just on the specific players, um, and the good news is, as Rich mentioned, you know, the, the, the props that come out here um, with these players are just kind of standard straight line, you know, player averages. Yeah, there's not a lot of it doesn't feel like the bookmakers are putting a lot of effort into adjusting them based on the matchups, et cetera. So that's where, you know, there's a there's a inefficiency and you could take advantage of it because the big, you know, the big betters aren't putting money into these props because there's there's low limits compared to a side or a total. So, you know, the bookmakers don't really care. They don't really put that much effort into, you know, adjusting these lines um, or at least adjusting them from the, from the open um, uh, compared to where, you know, there is some value. So I think it's fun for, for us to talk about and for the average Joe to toss, uh, you know, a little bit of money on um, because there is that inefficiency. Reeves, let's kick it off with the quarterback position. Take it away. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, we're talking about the, the, the Patriots and their, you know, their 20-year dynasty. And, you know, when they started this, you know, Brady-Belichick, you know, era out of dominance, they kind of revolved. Brady is more of like a, a, you know, a caretaker, a game manager. And, you know, the, the last decade that's completely shifted. And, in the, you know, since turning th- 35 years old, Brady's played 17 playoff games. He's averaged 44.8 pass attempts in those games with 331.2 passing yards. This postseason run, this current postseason run has been no different. He's a at 44 and 46 passes thrown for 343 and 348 yards he's hit at least 290 passing yards in his last 10 postseason games and he's gone over 38 pass attempts in his last 10 postseason games as well the line pretty much everywhere is 37 and a half passing attempts again we talk about they will set these things right on averages so i mean you're getting you're getting pretty good squeeze there the lowest i've seen it is is like minus 120 uh his passing yardage though you can get pretty good uh pretty good squeeze on those uh the lowest I've seen is 291 and a half passing yards. Some books have it like at 300. Um, but I think that the Patriots will come out. It's going to be the ball's going to be put in Brady's hands like it has been in the playoffs over the past decade. Uh, so I like both of Brady's, you know, pass attempts over and his passing yardage over is, uh, in most spots you can get it. Why, why are you staying away from this one, T.A.? What, what, what didn't attract you to it? Um, well, first of all, I think the, the Brady line in terms of yardage did jump immediately. I know that was one that I've read um, that, you know, the guys that do take this kind of serious, they, they jumped on it immediately because of all those numbers that Rich uh, described. I mean, there's a lot of, um, you know, history here in the Super Bowl and just the playoffs, um, him kind of over 
overproducing his, his standard averages. So um, I think at this point it's a little bit above where I'd want to go. And I just I, I'm taking advantage of some of the other uh, some of the other positions a little bit more than than quarterback. But I think uh, I think you make some good points here. So I don't uh, I don't fault you at all for for taking uh, taking a look here. And I think with the attempts the attempts one's really interesting because as we've seen. As he gets older, yeah. uh, Brady is checking down more quick throws. Um, he's not taking deep shots, so he's extending drives. So as we saw, obviously, in the Chiefs game, a lot of third-down conversions. So I think your 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 plays are going to go up and your attempts are going to go up just in general. So um, I think that does make a lot of sense. Speaking of the pass attempts, I, I saw Goff over under uh, 38 and a half. I looked up kind of his wins and losses and, and how those kind of correlate to how many uh, attempts he has and wins uh, he averages 32.6 attempts this season and losses it's 45.6 so not saying it's you know staggering one way or the other but you know if you think the Rams are going to win then that's almost six pass attempts less and if you think they're going to lose then you know that's seven difference so that's an interesting one Re- uh, Reeves I know you're also um, interested in golf's passing touchdowns in this one. Well, I think it, you got to shop around. The other thing we didn't talk about when you opened uh, about the player props is so everyone has Super Bowl props, so you definitely got to shop around. So, I mean, like, uh, I like to look for, for plus plus bets, you know, where you get positive odds. Uh, and, you know, a couple places have golf uh, under one and a half passing touchdowns at big time positive odds. It's kind of a, little, a longer play, but you can get plus 150 in some spots. Uh, and since golf has not been the same player the back half of the season, he was the front half. You you, know, you look at the his seven games since the bye week, including the postseason. He's thrown multiple touchdown passes in just one of those seven games. Yeah. So you're getting a little bit of play on that with plus odds. You know, it's a little longer play because two touchdowns beats you here. But uh, as something with positive odds, you can throw a lower volume bet at this uh, and you know try to chase a payout. Well, I was just going to say, it's funny. I actually took um, the under in Goff's passing yards in the championship game against the Saints and would have won that if it didn't go to overtime. So I'm a little bit scarred from that perspective. A lot of the same numbers you just talked about um, are, are things that I saw. Like his, his just since Cooper Cup's gone down, his numbers have gone down throughout the uh, kind of across the board. So, um, you know, in general, I think the, the under – uh, touchdown passes is one that you know trend you know is trending that way, and I think if you think that Gurley is going to get more more carries and is going to be more active than he has been recently, which I do, and I know we'll get into, then um, I think that's that's one you could definitely uh, take advantage of. Yep. take advantage of in terms of under touchdown passes. Yeah, let, let's go into that right now because Todd Gurley has been a popular name this week. Whenever I've looked up any content. On props, um, it's interesting because it's not like he's had a good game, you know, in quite a few weeks. Uh, CJ Anderson has just been a better football player with Todd Gurley after the injury and even off the injury report and practicing in full. It's interesting to me because I don't know if our mind goes to when this Rams offense was running at full steam, you know, full cylinder and being at their best, and Todd Gurley was just racking up you know, over 80 rushing yards and, and touchdowns and receptions and all that stuff. But T.A., I know that you're at the very least believing that he's going to be a focal point of this week's game plan. And I mean, Sean McVay has said as much leading into the game. Yeah. And as I, we were talking about before, before we got on, uh, you know, started recording uh, about almost 10 days ago, I, I saw the first set of props that came out. And right away, I thought that all of Gurley's numbers were kind of, you know, kind of low. Um, his attempts are only at 13 and a half or 14, depending on where you go. And I took that right away. Um, you know, I think there's a lot, there was a lot of kind of near term 
um, or recency bias. He only got what four or five carries uh, the last game against the Saints. I, I don't think he's injured. I know that's a it's a popular uh, you know theory that's out there. I, I, when his touchdown run against the Saints, he he buried you know he barreled over a couple of guys. He looked pretty good. I know Evan Silva uh, posted today the kind of the next gen stats. His top speed against the Cowboys is was up there. I mean, he was, he looks good from, from that perspective. He doesn't look injured. Um, I think it's just a matter of look. he dropped his first pass. It turned into an interception. And then, you know, he had that, that yep. wide receiver screen that he ended up dropping. It might've been just a concentration issue. might've been just, he wasn't, wasn't prepared, but for whatever reason, maybe he was just nervous. I don't know. I mean, you never know with some of these younger guys that get into, you know, big games at this point. So I think that might've been more, um, you know, leaning McVeigh just says, Hey, I, I want to rely on a veteran who's been there and CJ Anderson. I kind of know what I'm going to get. Um, but I think now he's got two weeks to kind of reflect on that. And again, this is no statistical analysis on this is pure, just, you know, my educated guess that I think he's going to come back strong. Um, I think he's got a lot to prove. He's obviously a great player. Um, and for me, if you look at, if you just eliminate that last, um, you know, four carry game against, against the saints uh, in games that are non blowouts. So, you know, games are in doubt. Uh, he, he's getting 18 carries per game. So 13 and a half is a pretty low number. Yep. Um, and I think, you know, as long as he doesn't, you know, put the ball on the ground early and his head isn't, you know, his head is right, I think he's going to be able to produce. So I think 13 and a half or 14 carries is a pretty good number um, to go uh, to go over. And then that leads to, you know, I've got him at MVP odds. Um, I think they're they're all over the map depending on where you go. But I, I took him at 14 and a half to one to win the MVP just in, in my personal thought process is that if the Rams are going to win and I think you know I'm leaning that way although it's, it's a coin flip um, I think Gurley's got to have a big game just because of some of those golf numbers that we just talked about I think it's you know Gurley both out of the backfield and you know running the ball I think has to have a good game and if you think you know the Rams do have a shot here Gurley probably has much of a, a chance or even better than, than golf does to win the MVP just because the perception out there is that Gurley is um, is the better player. I mean, people think that uh, Goff is a product of the system. It's all McVeigh. I don't know if they really take him that serious. So, but, you know, kind of all things being equal, they both have good games. I think Gurley would get that vote. And I think the narrative that he kind of turned things around here after, um, you know, a couple of poor poor outings, um, I think he's got the lead in terms of a, an MVP vote. So, and I do think Gurley's going to have a good game here. Rich, any interest in Todd Gurley in this game? For a lot of those reasons TA touched upon, I mean, you know, you get the recency bias and that's starting to get, you know, as we've got gotten through the minutia of two weeks of analyzing the game, uh, you know, Gurley's starting to get propped back up here now as people have come around and McVay has come out and say, you know, he's kind of got lost in the game flow last week. I mean, C.J. Anderson, it has played well, too. Listen, C.J. Anderson doesn't deserve to lose yeah. really reps at this point either based on how he's played with them. But um, I, I love attacking Gurley from the receiving angle in this game. I mean, we know throughout the, the course of this recent Pats run, the way to attack them defensively is to put Deontay Hightower into coverage, to put Kyle Van Noy into coverage. Uh, they've, they've struggled uh, guarding backs out of the backfield consistently through this, you know, recent, recent run, you know, defensively. This season was no different. They ranked 20th in receptions allowed to running backs. They ranked 24th in receiving yards allowed to opposing backs. 
backfields this season. The Chargers backfield in divisional round caught seven passes for 52 yards. Chiefs backs had seven pa- caught seven passes for 87 yards and two touchdowns in the AFC title game. The Chiefs have put on a, a clinic, you know, the past three times they played them on how to use their backs effectively out of the backfield too. Uh, you know, when you think of the two get monster games Kareem Hunt had receiving and Damian Williams in that AFC title game. And Damian Williams could have had another touchdown, at least one more receiving touchdown in that game had Pat Mahomes not overthrown him. So I'm looking at Gurley's receiving lines, and they just look way too low. Three and a half catches, 30 and a half receiving yards. Uh, those, those are two numbers that I want to attack, and you can get pretty good odds on those two where you're not losing a lot of juice. So, I mean, I'm looking for Gurley to really bounce back uh, within the receiving game, you know, a, a game that basically caused him to get benched, you know, uh, in the NFC title game. But even in that game where he lost all those snaps to C.J. Anderson, he ran, still ran more pass routes than C.J. Anderson in that NFC title game. So he's still going to be used in that capacity. So I want to attack him in the receiving game and being a part of that game plan. Just uh, trying to picture this game in, in my mind and dreaming about it before it plays out. Um, I think that there is absolutely a viable way for James White to get 10, 12, something like that receptions. Um, Reeves, I know that one prop you're interested in is, and actually going the opposite way, is the under six and a half receptions and under 55 and a half receiving yards, which is interesting because of your other um, interest in Brady over 37 and a half pass attempts. And as TA pointed out, some of those might be, you know, flare outs, short passes, dump offs, uh, just to counteract that quick into your pressure. And some of those might go to James White. Just my way of thinking. I mean, you probably have a different way of thinking about it too. Well, I mean, I'm looking at these from the from the t- the line that's set and then the, the the what the payout is. And you're getting positive odds on the James White unders almost everywhere. And the lines are just set too high. Six and a half receptions. He's he's gone he's had six or more catches now in just three of his past ten games played. Actually just two of his past ten games played. He's gone over forty nine receiving yards in just three of his past 10 10 games played the Rams only allowed four running backs all season to catch at least five passes in a game they were really good in the intermediate game so I mean I'm looking at James White and where the line set and I can get positive odds he really only one specific game plan has to play out for him to beat you uh, you know, um, and now with Rex Burkhead possibly getting a few more snaps. I mean, I just think that the lines are set too high for the payout. Uh, you're getting a really high line based on his averages. He's below these averages, you know, the back half of the year pretty consistently, like I said, over the past 10 weeks. And you're getting positive odds. So it's not that I don't think that James White can clear these numbers. I definitely believe that. Yeah. Uh, you know, we saw him get 17 targets two weeks ago in a game. But you think about last week, the game plan would have called for James White to exploit those linebackers in Kansas City that were just terrible all year in space. Uh, and he he really wasn't used at all, especially in the second half of that game. Uh, so, I mean, six and a half catches is a lot for a running back. It's more than, the, you know, you would typically think. I know it's James White, uh, but like I said, he's only had six catches in two of his past ten games. I feel like you're getting a lot of really good squeeze on where the line is set. And, and even in games where they've lost recently against Miami, against Pittsburgh, um, in those games he had targets of four and seven. Um, I, I don't know. I, we talked about at the top of the show, like there are just so many props out there and it is a spotlight game and you can <laughs> wager on anything basically that I think a lot of this might be biased towards, you know, some of the spotlight games we have seen of him, especially two weeks ago or three weeks ago against the chargers, um, previous Super Bowl and playoff appearances where they make him a heavily featured player that maybe that's why James White is getting so much attention, um, above that six and a half receiving mark. You know, and I'm conflicted too, because I, I didn't touch either side of that, but 
Um, you know, you look last game and, you know, tip, typically the Rams do do a good job against running backs out of the backfield. They've got fast linebackers. Um, but Kamara got 11, 11 receptions for 96 yards on 13 targets. Now, that might have just been a, a function of, you know, nobody else is really open on, on the Saints and they were just kind of force feeding um, Kamara. But um, I, I, I'm just going to stay away from that one. I, you know, you never you never know what that offense, what McDaniels is going to dial up and Brady um, on offense and kind of how they're going to scheme things. So, you know, it's just really hard to, to see um, kind of value either way. But, um, but that one is, is a tough one for me. Let's move over to the uh, wide receiver spot, TA. I know you have a handful of names here. You can go wide receiver or tight end, really just pass catchers here. Yeah, so we could start with, you know, probably my favorite player prop on the board is uh, Gronk over. You can either get uh, kind of between 49 and a half to 54 yards. I think, you know, either one is you know kind of fine. Um, and, and the way I'm looking at this is, um, you know, it's funny. There's a strong correlation between Gronk's game log and his production or lack thereof. And we know he's been up and down all year. You could, you could correlate that to, to how defenses uh, defend tight ends in terms of, you know, kind of your basic yards allowed to tight ends per game. Don't worry about DVOA or success rate or any of that other stuff because there's really no correlation there. It's purely does your defense that, that Gronk has faced, do they allow, to, uh, allow a lot of yards tight end? So I looked at it in two different kind of two different tiers. Um, he's faced five teams that rank in the top eight in terms of um, least amount of yards allowed to tight ends. Buffalo twice, Jets twice, Jacksonville once. In those five games, he's averaged two receptions, 27 yards, only you know, four and a half targets per game. And he hadn't put up more than 56 in any one of those games. So he's been limited against the teams that limit tight ends. And then you look at the teams that he's faced who uh, allow a lot of yards to tight ends. So say it's three teams, four different times who rank in, in the bottom five in terms of yards allowed to tight ends, Houston, Indy, and then the Chiefs twice. And in those five games, he's put up seven and a half targets, close to six receptions and 93 yards per game. And he hasn't put up less than 75 in any one of those games. So there's a clear divide between, um, you know, performing well against those teams that allow, allow a lot of targets and yards and those that, that limit them. And if you look at the Rams on defense, it, it's pretty interesting. So they're 29th in yards allowed per game to tight ends. Um, they've allowed the second highest number of overall targets in terms of percentage to tight ends. Um, but they're, they're fourth in DVOA and 12th in success rate on defense against tight ends. So I, for whatever reason, I don't know, you guys may know the scheme a little bit more. Maybe it's a Wade Phillips thing. Um, where he just allows kind of they funnel uh, receptions to tight ends for whatever whatever it's worth. Um, you know, I thought that was interesting. And then also the Rams have faced five tight ends this year who average 50 yards per game or more, which is essentially what uh, Gronk's at 52. Um, they faced Kittle twice, Kelsey, Cook, and Ertz. In those five games, they allowed over seven yard or seven receptions per game, 115 yards per game. I mean, Cook, especially Cook, Kelsey, and, and Kittle – just destroyed that defense. The only one who underperformed was Ertz. And even then, he got seven targets. He just only produced three for 21. So, like I said, and Gronk has faced away. I look uh, a couple of years back looking at, you know, is there something with Wade Phillips' defense? And if you look at Gronk, he's faced a Wade Phillips' defense three times in his career. Um, Houston in 2013 and then twice against the, the Broncos a handful of years ago, one in the uh, conference championship game. In those three games, 11 and a half targets, seven receptions, 120 yards. So all of that points for me that this is a really good spot for him. And I think you add in the fact that, you know, Tlaib being 
being back and Roby in the slot, you've got some, um, you got the ability to slow down those receivers. Um, you know, Brady's really good at play action and the Rams are, are dead last in uh, passer rating QBR against play action. And that's where you can really attack uh, the Rams down the seam with Gronk. So I think all of that kind of lends itself to uh, Gronk having a good game. And it doesn't hurt that this could be his you know final game. I think he's going to retire after this game personally. Um, there's just too much smoke there. So all of that kind of lends itself to uh, take, taking the over here. Reeves, any interest in any receiving props in this one? I love the Gronk call uh, for a lot of the reasons that TA laid out. Um, I like uh, I like Julian Edelman, obviously, still where he's at. I mean, some play he's his yardage varies though from place to place. Some some places it's real high. Some it's like eighty five and a half, eighty six and a half, and some places you can get it seventy eight and a half. So at the lower end, if you can get that. Uh, obviously, we talked about the run Brady's been on and, and over his you know, past 10 postseason games. And Edelman's gotten a lot of run, no, no matter if you believe Edelman's a Hall of Famer or not. It's a separate discussion. Uh, but, you know, just look at his past 10 postseason games. He's had at least double-digit targets uh, in, in each of those games. He's averaged 8.2 receptions for 101 yards per game uh, over that span. He also schematically will not face, you know, Tlaib and Marcus Peters. And I know Nickel Roby Coleman is a good slot corner, but, uh, you know, slot corner stats and typically are skewed because those guys typically aren't playing man uh, in the slot. You know, when you're talking about coverage or like receptions a lot on slot, it's not typically a binary, you know, player versus player matchup as it is on the boundaries. You know, Edelman's catching a lot of his passes where he can get credited for a linebacker's coverage or Nickel Rovey's coverage. Like he knows the types of targets that he gets. He's not going to be on the boundary though against Tlaib and Peters where Chris Hogan and Dorsett are basically going to be sacrificial lambs in this game. Like those guys aren't going to get open on those players. Probably not as much as Marcus Peters as we've ragged on him at the beginning of the year when he played poorly. Uh, and I, he was playing hurt too at that point. Uh, he's been really good the back half of the year. Marcus Peters has been, uh, and he played really great in the NFC title game. So I mean, I just think it's another high volume Julian Edelman type game. Uh, so I mean, I like playing both of his props. His catches are way too high though uh, to really t- to make a play on uh, for the kind of squeeze you can get on, on all the sites. Uh, but his yardage, if you can get it underneath the, the eighty yards near that seventy eight and a half, yeah, I still like making a play on that. I, I uh, absolutely would not invest in this. But there has to be a prop for uh, how many pass interference penalties is called are called against Nicole Roby Coleman <laughs> in this one. Has to be. Let's talk about some of the players kind of on the periphery out there. Uh, TA, I know, just again from following your Twitter account on Sunday Night Football, Monday Night Football, you love going after kind of those outside of the linear targets to tight ends. And um, you are doing that again this week with Gerald Everett. Yeah, and this uh, we could talk about you know, kind of how I think the uh, the Patriots are going to scheme. And you guys may know better than me. I, I'm not an X's and O's guy per se, but just kind of uh, throughout the years, seeing how Belichick defends these these teams. And so, starting from there, and it'll lead me to to Gerald Everett. Um, you know, typically when you've got a team that the Patriots are facing with multiple uh, good receivers, either on the outside or even in the slot. Um, what they do is they double team the number two receiver or the number one receiver, and then they take their top cover corner in this case Gilmore and put them on the number two receiver. You know, in this case, you know Woods. Let's say so you double team Cooks and you go one on one with your best corner uh, on Woods. And so I looked and said, hey, who who are um, who are a couple of comps in terms of who the Patriots have faced in that similar situation? What happened to some of the other options there? Um, and so if you look. Uh, looked at they played the Vikings and the, and the Steelers, really the two teams that have you know kind of two number one receivers. And in those four games, um, nobody between Thielen, Diggs, Juju Smith, and, and Antonio Brown, no one topped 49 yards or five receptions. 
they all were were uh, they all were held underneath those numbers, um, and so you could tell that they, they got a clear. And if you look at Tyree Kill last week too, I mean he, he was held to what one catch. So they have a clear way of scheming these guys. And so what happens when you do that? You know, obviously other guys have to step up. And so you know, I, I like. You know, one one guy that I think could do well is Josh Reynolds over 47 and a half. I would make that kind of a half a play. But I think interesting, I think Gerald Everett over 23 and a half is, is a good spot as kind of the, the, the one guy who could step up. Um, and separately from that, you know, if you look at personnel, um, obviously all we hear about all the time is McVay and the Rams run the 11 personnel, um, you know, 90 percent of the time. Um, yeah. Interesting. I was pointed to this recently, and I, I was it was pretty surprising. Against the Saints, they ran twelve personnel um, with only two receivers on the field, twenty five percent of the time against the Saints. So, is that something that is you know yep. they've kind of figured out? Hey, let's let's try to be a little bit more of a power run game or a play action game. Let's take advantage of the fact that we have two pretty solid tight ends here, um, and I think it's going to make sense against the Patriots, who um, is top five in the NFL actually number one in the NFL defending 11 personnel, only six and a half yards per attempt, 39% success rate allowed. Uh, but against 12 personnel, they are the eighth worst in the NFL in terms of success rate, over 10 yards per attempt allowed. So that lends me to, you know, I think McVeigh is not one of those stubborn guys who says, hey, I'm going to always go with what's worked. I'm always going to play, you know, 11 personnel. I think he's going to mix in 12 personnel a lot more, or at least I'm guessing and or predicting that. Um, and so that would lend, you know, itself to Gerald Everett getting more snaps. Um, so with the fact that the that the Rams did run more twelve personnel last week, you know, he had forty seven offensive snaps, um, close to seventy percent of the snap percentage on offense he ran, which was uh, one of the highest he had all year. So I think he's going to be the beneficiary beneficiary there. Um, and in general, I mean, he's he's topped um, uh, twenty three and a half yards um, for the last six games. So it's not really a difficult. Um, number for him to beat and I think he's just going to get a, a ton more targets seven to eight targets wouldn't yeah. shock me so it's very easy and he's explosive for for a tight end he's a pretty explosive player so the yardage should be pretty um, you know if he gets if he gets two or three receptions I don't think the 23 and a half is is a tough number to clear and so uh, I did take over 23 and a half yards for him I also took first TD as you mentioned I like to look uh, you know you know High, high, high odds when it comes to first TD, and he's at twenty-five to one. So if my theory is correct, and he's going to get more snaps, and they're going to use the the you know uh, that twelve personnel more often, yeah. um, and he's a guy who has gotten eleven targets inside the twenty, six inside the ten. So it's not like they've never gone to him. Um, I think twenty-five to one is an interesting uh, number for him. So I took a shot with him there. So that's a long-winded answer, but um, any thoughts that you guys have in terms of kind of the the scheme uh, thoughts there from, from how the, the Patriots are going to play them. And then anything with, uh, you know, what the Rams did with this, this personnel change against the Saints, I thought it would be, would be interesting to hear. For, for sure. And Rich knows this because of the show we used to do on Sundays, that as soon as Cooper Cup went down, I thought that Gerald Everett's role would just increase dramatically. And that was, you yeah. know, earlier in the season when Cup was out for a few games and then lost for the season. It didn't necessarily turn out that way because they just moved Robert Woods to the slot. Um, but the reason why the Rams were so good and really I think ran like 11 personnel 95 plus percent of the time excluding kneel downs 
was because basically in that personnel set, they can change it to 12 personnel. Tyler Higby is someone that as a blocker is like an extra tackle. And then when you motion Cooper Cup in closer to the formation, he can block like a tight end. Now, when you lost that, Robert Woods was asked to play that role and maybe he wasn't as good in that area as they thought. So that's why they started using 12 personnel more. And I agree with you. I think like in the last four games that has trended up to like 27% or close to it. Um, and, and, and I totally agree with you, TA, that, you know, McVeigh might look at himself over his last two weeks and say, hey, these have been our tendencies that we've shown throughout the season. This is our tendency that we showed against the Detroit Lions, a defense run by Matt Matricia that was so multiple um, and we didn't do well against it. So if we want to do something slightly different, incorporating Gerald Everett, who McVeigh, when drafting him, kind of compared him to Jordan Reed, who he had in Washington, is is an interesting pivot in there. And and to your point, and not to take this into a tangent, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Tyler Higby touchdown. Um, a Tyler Higby touchdown mm-hmm. as a yes is plus 300 in this one. So if you want to include that tight end position even more and break the tendencies even more, a Higby touchdown, which I think he had um, against the Saints, is is another interesting one as well, Rich. Yeah, I like all those takes. I think the, the thing, too, that's getting away the the Rams, I definitely think we're going to see a lot more 12 person. I love the Gerald Everett, Everett take and the numbers there. Um, but I still think the Rams are obviously going to run a lot 11 person on this game. Uh, you said, I mean, 25% to 75% of a lot of snaps for Josh Reynolds. The other thing, too, is that the Rams' 11 personnel is not like a lot of other teams' 11 personnel. They run a lot of bunch sets. They run a lot of jet action, uh, misdirection with their wide receivers in motion almost every play. A lot harder to play physical on those types of receivers. If you look at the amount of man press snaps that Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods face this year, they are well below the amount of zone coverage snaps they, they, they face this year. And that's because typically, especially Robert Woods, now that he's switched in the Cooper Cup role, he's constantly moving before the snap. You can't get your hands on a player like that that's lining up off the, off the line of scrimmage, not as a pure X guy. Uh, to get your hands on him. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this game plays out, you know, from a you know schematic sense, because uh, we know the Patriots are really good against 11 personnel. Their depth is in the secondary, so they can really match up with these wide receivers really well. They Also, the Patriots were tremendous against the deep ball this year. They were one of the best teams in the league against targets, you know, 15 yards plus downfield. So that plays into Brandon Cook's strengths. So it's going to be a, a real interesting dynamic to how this plays out. But um, as far as the 11 personnel stuff that it's been getting talked up, I still think the Rams are going to run a lot. 11 personnel because their 11 personnel is a lot more unique than the base rate of the league and what the Patriots have faced. And, and if a team is an 11 personnel more likely than not, the defense is at least a nickel, right? Mm -hmm. And if, if you want to run 12 personnel, which I think is a possibility too, maybe the Patriots more often would, would run base in that situation. And if their base is three linebackers, uh, we know that the Patriots defense is not necessarily fast at linebacker compared mm-hmm. to some of their peers. So that's an interesting and that's the tidbit. Of your take too, is you, they can come out in 12 with Everett and transition that base and then go to 11. 11. Go yeah. to 11. Rich, I see that you have Cordero Patterson's name on your list. And I absolutely want to hear about Cordero Patterson in this conversation. Yeah, it's just another <laughs> another fun one. Like I said, longer longer play, but you get plus odds at it. It's just one and a half receptions. The over, he only needs two catches. He's had two catches at least four of his past six games. We know the Super Bowl kind of breeds these quirky players to kind of stand out, whether it be Jacoby Jones or you know uh, Desmond Howard. You know these guys type typically. You know this is their moment. You know you get the extra plays dialed up for these guys. Patterson is averaging you know 15 uh, you know uh, snaps per game 
Uh, so, I mean, he's probably, when he comes in the game, they usually have a play dialed up for him. He was targeted on 17.2% of his snaps this season, which was eighth of all wide receivers. He didn't play a lot of snaps. So if he's in the game, either typically calling plays for him. Uh, so just two catches, uh, you know, you're, you're getting plus odds, typically around plus 140. Uh, that's something you can throw a low leverage bet, bet on and, you know, really cash cash out on. So, I mean, I, I'm looking at Cor- Coral Patterson and thinking the Super Bowl is a good time for us to get, yeah. uh, you know, see Pat involved in a couple snaps here. Yeah, I wish these included all touches because I could easily see rather than, you know, receptions, they're just handoffs in the backfield. Um, but I mean, these coaches, again, they have got two weeks to come up with something. And there is there are a few players better uh, in the NFL than Cordero Patterson with the ball in his hands. So, well, Josh, it's funny. That's, I'm glad you brought that up with, with the, you know, uh, Patterson running the ball, because I almost I still might do it. I might take Edelman over half a carry or a rush. Okay. And I was thinking the same thing. You know, what do you do against interior pressure? You try to get to the edges. Is that something that you think that um, McDaniels might use more of kind of these, you know, fake the jet sweep, but then also obviously give it up once or twice or maybe three times? Uh, Who gets it, though? That's the question. That's the only thing that, that is keeping me away from Edelman is they may just give it to Patterson. Yeah, I, I don't even know if I remember, and I'm sure he's had them, but Edelman jet sweeps, Edelman reverses. He was like fifth. He was, I think he was fifth among all receivers and carries this year. What's okay, funny well, is, dumb, but... well, what's funny is we, <laughs> I think we have the second and we have the first and third teams, I believe, in wide receiver hand carries this year. Interesting. He's actually had a rushing attempt in two straight Super Bowls, too. Okay. Well, look yeah. at me. I have forgotten I've seen a football game before. Um, what I can totally <laughs> see happening is they run that early or they run a, a action to the sweep and then a delayed screen to James White with their athletic guards and centers getting out in front and trying to block up field. Like I guarantee you, we see one or the other or both happening in this game. So I'm, I'm totally with you. I, I think if you get plus odds on CPAT and Edelman, that maybe throwing a dart at both might be the way to go. Guys, I, I noticed that you don't have any fun, not to say you guys aren't fun people, but fun props. So let me throw the most fun one at you that I could find. This is courtesy of Bovada, and it's ridiculous. The number of times, quote, wrath, end quote, will be mentioned is over under three and a half. And some of you are asking why R-A-T-H might be mentioned. Well, if you have been following the news this week, Ted Rath is Sean McVay's get back guy. Okay. So Bovada believes under over three and a half times he'll be mentioned on the broadcast. I mean, I think once at the most we'll get Sean McVay's get back guy mentioned this week uh, in this game. And so three and a half to me is absolutely preposterous. Yeah, I would agree. When you said that, I couldn't, I'm like, well, yeah, once, okay, maybe a second time if something happens. But I mean, three, I mean, four, five times. Yeah, that seems a little pers- uh, preposterous. So. And it's, it's not ridiculous odds either. It, it's the over is plus 140. The under is minus 180. Like I'll, I'll absolutely take that minus 180 under three and a half. Three and a half is a huge number. Is, is, and so he could, they could say anything in terms of wrath, though. That could be like the wrath of Bill Belichick or, right? Is that, <laughs> or you shouldn't say the exact name, the full name. I mean, I think that you got to make sure you uh, get that cleared up. That's true. That's true. I think on, on the site, it says R-A-T-H and not W-R-A-T-H. So we'll see. We'll see. I know defensive players, you know, it seems like every 10, 15 years, someone can look this up if they want to. I won't right now. Um, have won an MVP <laughs> honors. And Malcolm Smith. I'm not going to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say that, you know, I'm confident in this one. But if anyone is going to win that award in this, it's going to be Aaron Donald at 20 to 1. And that, I don't think that those are great odds. 
at all because many offensive players have better odds that you can see and envision the path to that MVP trophy reaps, but Aaron Darwin at 20 to one is, is somewhat interesting. To me. Yeah, absolutely. He'd be the one that you're drawn to typically to win defensive MVP. You got to score a defensive touchdown and trying to pick out who's going to score a defensive touchdown is you're talking about a game filled with variance is that's a needle on a haystack on top of a needle on a haystack. If Donald gets two sacks, which is possible is that's not good enough to win MVP unless he picks it up, picks up a number of scores or who was the, uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm blanking. Who's the linebacker for the right. Rams? Corey Littleton. Was that the one against the Chiefs that he scored? Yeah, yeah that would be one. He's a that was Ecu e- bomb. That was Ecu bomb, right? If you're gonna do that, he's probably not even listed. He's probably in the field. But uh, a guy, <laughs> a line, an athletic linebacker who can, you know, get maybe a sack, get a bunch of tackles, and then also get a pick six or a fumble recovery for a touchdown. Like that's where you would find somebody um, on the defensive side. I think you would have a shot, but. Uh, you never know. I mean, Donald, it's one of those things it's voted on, right? So it's not like there's some algorithm out there that, that comes up with these MVP awards. You just right. need a, a narrative and you just need a, a guy who's hyped like an Aaron Donald. Uh, By the way, Dan Morgan in the Panthers loss to the Patriots had 25 tackles wow. in that game. It was a ridiculous Super Bowl uh, second half. Uh, okay, I'll close it out on this one. And again, we're talking about somewhat ridiculous and this one's not going to pay you out much, but no missed extra points is minus 310. Okay, kind of on average, kickers make 93% of their extra points. That's just in total with all kickers in the NFL. These kickers are two of the best in the NFL. And Greg Zerline, who is injured and not necessarily practicing leading up to this game, um, and Steven Goskowski, they make 96, 97%. So if, again, you want to wager on this, that's minus 310, which certainly is not great odds, but 93% chance, and that's not exactly fair, but... I mean, kickers rarely, rarely miss. And it would be super notable and probably game impacting if they do miss in this one. You know, it's interesting. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of the, the pros who do this, you know, do this for a living that really like the player, player, player props, they do say that the one area that, that, that the books really clean up on with these props are the ones that they want, like the juicy you know, plus, plus odds on something like that. So a lot of people will, nobody will take the minus 300, right? No one will, will take the obvious, right. the obvious one. They want to be the ones that, that can hit the 250 plus 250 plus 300, whatever. So there's really, there is some value in just taking the obvious. No, they're not going to miss any extra points. They're not, you know, the probability is extremely low. Um, and just cleaning up on a bunch of those, it's just, you got to lay so much money. And the one that, you know, the average Joe's like us who are taking these things, aren't going to be laying, you're not laying a couple thousand bucks to win, you know, a few hundred on stuff like this. So um, I think in general, if you just take one or two, I don't think it's a bad idea just to take the ones that, that, you know, really, really low shot of, uh, of a miss here. Um, so if, if you like the, uh, you know, no missed extra points, I don't, I don't think it's a problem at all to jump on that. Gentlemen, any closing thoughts or are we good? Well, I would say I'm curious. What you, I mean, I'm leaning Rams, but what do you have? You guys made a selection in terms of uh, the side that you like, Rich. I think this is just from a pure like just playing playing the books angles. I think it's an even game. Obviously, the Patriots, you know, the previous eight Super Bowls have dictated just for as much as a boogeyman as they have been the last twenty years. And they get in the Super Bowl, right. these games are close. They play a lot of close games, but I think the two and a half, basically the number isn't going to come into play at two and a half or yep. three. So if you're going to bet the Rams, you just don't. You just you, you pick them to win. You play the money line. Uh, and that's the way you attack the Rams side. 
uh, because the Patriots, all their Super Bowl wins are at least by three. The number's probably not going to come into play. Probably very low odds. And then if you're on the Patriots, you, you if you're on the Patriots, you lay the two and a half because you know that obviously a three, a three points uh, is still good for you. So I mean, I think it just comes on preference of uh, where you lean uh, for the game. But I mean, if you like the Rams, and I definitely listen, the Rams initially opened as as favorites. They were plus, they were minus one. Uh, so, I mean, there's a reason the way they set these lines, it's all just based off the algorithm that they were uh, typically in a neutral site game, they'd be one point favorites. But you know, that the way the Patriots get bet by the public, that got hammered. I think before that, that like an out within an hour, they were favorites. Uh, so, I mean, there's a reason why the Rams open there. They, they can win. Uh, we saw last year the, against the Eagles, you know, they're the, the the Patriots are not immortal in these games. Uh, you know, they were down 23 the year before that. Uh, so if you like the Rams, I think you just money line them. Yeah. Um, I mentioned on yesterday's preview pod, which everyone out there should go listen to, um, that I'm going to take a walk down Narrative Street here. And it's because I just rewatched that 2002 Super Bowl, which was the Rams and the Patriots. And the Patriots were uh, 14-point dogs in that one. And that one came down to a minute 30 left with the Patriots getting the ball, the score tied. John Madden famously saying they should play for overtime. And about six plays later, Adam Vinatieri was trotting out there for a game-winning field goal that was about 52 (laughs) yards. I see that somewhat happening in this one, but the Patriots – total narrative here, being down one point, settling for a 52-yard field goal, and Steven Goskowski missing it. I'm sorry, I was going to say, you know, you're talking about the points might come into play. Let me let me ask you guys this. Okay, so the Rams were a touchdown uh, late in the game. Uh, does McVeigh go for two in the win? Yeah, that's the opposite. So McVeigh, uh-huh. like a, the, the genius uh, label that he gets tacked on, uh, is like McVeigh's not really a guy doing these things like Doug Peterson. McVeigh has just exploited uh, a, a schematically yeah. what a lot of us have said. Hey, if you want to run the ball, write it, run it against light fronts. He basically comes out and uh, exploits the defense that way. But even against against the game, game against the Saints and the NFC, he coached that game very tight. Uh, very, very mm-hmm. tightly, and, yep. and you know they were fortunate to win that game based on the how tight uh, he coached that game. You know, especially in the second half of that game, I think he was on the lower end of probability uh, on a lot of his decisions that he made, and they uh, they ended up working out in hindsight. But uh, you know, they were not you know their right call. Yeah, the, the defense really saved him early by by forcing the Saints selling for field goals rather than touchdowns. Um, obviously, uh, yeah. I mean, look for as much credit as we give Sean, it seems like he's certainly someone who wants to take the points and not risk it rather than going for it in those first down situations. Now, Josh, yeah. uh, if I'm not wrong, you worked for the Rams, correct? I don't, I wouldn't go. I had a cup of coffee with the Rams. Let's put it that way. I was with them during training camp and during the 2011 NFL draft uh, with no players on that roster still remaining. <laughs> yeah, well, not course. the roster, no players on that draft class still remaining on the team right now. That was the Lance Kendricks draft with Josh McDaniels as offensive coordinator. Boy, there are stories there. That was a Robert Quinn draft and then a whole bunch of nobodies. Out and there. Josh McDaniels, a Cleveland guy. So I've heard some stories as well. <laughs> that that draft class included uh, Don, not Dante Pet. Uh, what was the guy's name uh, from Boise oh, State? Do you remember who I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I know who you're talking They took Alan Pettis? They took a couple uh, wide receivers that year. And it was Greg Salas as well was on that roster. Danny Amendola was on yeah, that I roster. Pettis, though, uh, I forget his first name. Yep. I totally yep. am drawing a blank Austin on. Pettis, right? Austin Pettis. Austin Pettis. There we go. That was a <laughs> debacle. But again, that's a story for another time. Uh, gentlemen, thanks so much. Again, you know all know Richard Rebar, at Lord Reeves on Twitter. Check out his column. Reeves, is that behind uh the the premium stuff or is it no that's just out there cool and cleave ta ta thanks so much man it's nice to finally talk with y'all again and until next time everyone we'll talk to y'all soon see ya